Welcome to the Healthy Hair Podcast. Your host, Dr. Amy Brenner, is a board-certified OBGYN with additional certifications in functional and integrative medicine. This podcast is meant to help women find reliable, relevant information to help them feel better, look better, and live better. Here you will hear in-depth information about hormones, sexual medicine, aesthetics, cosmetic gynecology, and functional medicine. Hey friends, welcome back to another episode of Healthy Her. And we've been doing this now for quite a while and we have yet to talk about one of the most common surgeries in the United States and that is hysterectomies. So we have a really qualified guest today all the way from California and her name is Dr. Sharuba Prabhakar. So welcome Dr. Prabhakar. Yes, thank you. So before we get into it, um, everybody loves to know who we're talking and, and I know you have a lot of credentials to be our expert in hysterectomy. If you can tell everybody about your background and education and kind of what your approach is to medicine and how did this become your area of interest? Yeah, sure. I would love to. So I, um, I'm from the East Coast originally. I went to Smith College in Massachusetts and then went to med school at uh, University of Connecticut. And um, during med school, I really fell in love with OBGYN uh, during my rotations because of the um, diversity of what I saw every day and just the scope of practice in this specialty. And um, I did my residency in New York, in Long Island. And after that, um, you know, there was, a, there was a lot to learn in residency with, with OBGYN. There's the delivering the babies part, and there's a surgical aspect. And even within surgery, there was just so much to learn. There was laparoscopy, vaginal surgery, robotic surgery, open surgery. So I felt like I really, um, to be to be really, really proficient, I wanted to um, spend a couple more years doing a fellowship in just minimally invasive surgery. And um, I was very lucky to um, find a spot in Brooklyn, New York. Um, and so I did a two-year fellowship in minimally invasive surgery. And um, and then I married a guy from the West Coast in tech. And so moved all the way out here to the Bay Area. And um, I wanted to find a place that was, you know, kind of as diverse as uh, as Brooklyn. And um, so we settled in on Oakland, um, California. And so that's where I am right now. Um, yeah, for those who don't know about it, what does minimally invasive gynecology mean? So what, what kind of stuff were you learning in your fellowship? Yeah, so a minimally invasive means um, doing surgery with less incisions. So traditionally, when women have had uh, GYN surgery or really any surgery, we are, we're talking about big incisions in the abdomen. So either like a C-section incision or sometimes even an up and down incision from the belly button to the pubic bone. Um, so we're talking about big open incisions um, and big surgeries. But over time, we're able to still accomplish those surgeries with very tiny incisions. So now we're talking about um, two to three small five millimeter incisions and putting instruments through those incisions and operating. So it's really great because, you know, your incisions are tiny and most patients get to go home the same day and recovery is much faster. Right. So we're going to talk about hysterectomy. Um, just in general, what does the word hysterectomy mean? 
Yeah, so hysterectomy is um, the word to describe removal of the uterus. Um, and that is, that's what this procedure is about. And while I say that, I also want to say it does not mean removing the ovaries. There's a lot of confusion about that word hysterectomy and that procedure name. Um, women often think it means uterus plus ovaries, but it's not. It's just removal of the uterus. Right. That is actually one of my pet peeves of even just working with my staff in my office of she had a complete hysterectomy. Um, and like, that's not really a word. Um, patients, patients use that word, but that's not really a medical word. Um, exactly. I think there's a lot of confusion about that. And I think even doctors have used that in the past. And so it's just gotten passed around. And, and so yes, hysterectomy um, versus, you know, total hysterectomy is the cervix plus the uterus. And then the ovaries are a completely different, you know, surgery. And so I try to stress that to patients that um, a hysterectomy does not mean you're going to enter menopause and your hormones are all going to change. Um, so that's a very important point because patients are often scared about that. As soon as you mention the word hysterectomy, they think, oh, they're, all their hormones are going to go away. And, you know, that's not true. Right. What are uh, some of the most common reasons why women would need a hysterectomy or seek to get a hysterectomy? The most common reason I would say uh, um, is heavy bleeding. Um, and this is most often caused by fibroids. Uh, this is one of the biggest reasons women um, seek hysterectomy. Um, without fibroids, you know, if you have other causes of bleeding, they're often controllable with, uh, you know, medications and other simple procedures. But when a woman has large fibroids that really affect her quality of life, that's when um, a lot of women are seeking hysterectomy. Yeah. And that's true in my practice. Same. Because otherwise, uh, unless you have big fibroids, there's like you mentioned, sometimes you can use medications or or other minimally invasive outpatient procedures to to deal with the cause cause of the bleeding. Um, you mentioned uh, now when I was a resident, we basically did two hysterectomies two ways. We either cut you open um, with a big like a bikini cut or a C-section scar or we did it vaginally. Now there's several different ways to do a hysterectomy. Can you comment on the different routes or different ways to do a hysterectomy? Yes. Um, so as you said, the you know we still sometimes do the big open um, incisions, but that is very rare now. Um, we yeah. How many are you doing a year of open hysterectomies? Uh, probably say, four or yeah, know, four or five or something like that. Yeah, pretty, uh, pretty rare. Pretty rare. Uh, pretty rare. But you know, sometimes when women have huge fibroids and you know, based on their anatomy and stuff, it, it is necessary, but um, but rare. Uh, the vaginal hysterectomy. Interesting that you mentioned that. I think um, that is still one of the best routes. Um, but in my practice with women with large fibroids, often that is not, you know, not a feasible route because those, these fibroids are not going to fit through the vagina. Um, we still do vaginal surgery for women with prolapse where the uterus is essentially, you know, falling out. Um, so, you know, I still do do vaginal surgery for that. The other two that are really taken off um, in the last couple of decades um, have been the laparoscopic surgery as well as robotic surgery. 
And essentially, these are approaches where we're using very small incisions, um, anywhere from two to five uh, small five millimeter incisions to put in instruments and operate that way. And laparoscopic and robotic surgery are very similar. Um, the robotic platform, however, offers some 3D visualization, removes tremor, and and you know can you can sort of see better, um, suture more easily, um, versus the laparoscopic is is two dimensional and you don't have some of these additional features. But the idea is the same in that you have a few small incisions, you're able to go home the same day, um, you're able to walk around and move around a lot faster and get back to your life quicker. Yeah. You know, for the longest time, this was I don't know, maybe over a decade ago of I was doing surgeries laparoscopically and thought, I don't need the robot like I can do it laparoscopically. And then one time I just peeked in on a colleague doing a, a complex dissection with endometriosis and thought, you know what? I probably couldn't do that laparoscopically. Um, and so then I said, you know what? I'm going to learn robotic surgery. And now I'm 53 and I am just so grateful that I did because doing laparoscopy, it just, it's like a workout. Like my arms would be hurting, my back would be hurting at the end of the day versus as a surgeon doing robotic surgery or sitting and it's just not as strenuous physically. Yeah, I, I totally agree. You know, when I did fellowship, um, my... Uh, attending was like, okay, do laparoscopy as much as possible. And then we did our fibroid surgeries robotically, but we tried to do as much laparoscopic as laparoscopically as well, because he really wanted us to be trained with both. So when I came out for the first several years, I was very into doing laparoscopy mostly, but then I agree with you. Um, I think like you, I was like, oh, well, this is great. I can sit for three hours. I can see a lot better. I can suture faster. And so I've also slowly, you know, converted a little bit more into the robotic um, approach. Right. Um, so I don't know if uh, you were in practice then, but there was a time, again, this was probably 15 years ago, where there was a trend to not remove the cervix. It doesn't come up as, and, and so for a while, I was doing what was called a super cervical hysterectomy of removing the uterus, but leaving the cervix. Did you ever go through a phase where that was, was popular in your career? Yeah, that's a good question. And, you know, I actually find that it's a little more regional. So I did my fellowship in New York, and that was a definitely a thing in New York. And that was only like, what, six, seven years ago, um, where women did not want their cervix removed. So we did a lot of super cervical hysterectomies when I was in fellowship. And then I came out to California, and almost no one did super cervical hysterectomies here. It was all total hysterectomies where women removed their cervix as well. And so for me, it was it was very interesting. It was a very geographically, um, it was a very, it was a geographic uh, difference there. Um, and now I think I would have to say I mostly do total hysterectomies. Um, I give women the option and, you know, they just don't want to have the risk of any abnormal paps in the future and um, or cervical cancer, and they just opt to remove their um, cervix as well. Same. Mostly. Um, I found people were very frustrated is because if you left the cervix, you know, maybe 10, 20% would still have a little bit of spotting. And they were like, 
wait, I went through this surgery and I still have a little bit of spotting every month. This is really annoying. Right, exactly. That's definitely one of the risks of leaving your cervix in. And we tell patients that um, some patients are also, you know, they've kind of come to this decision of hysterectomy after a long time and they really want to remove as little as possible. And so then they end up leaving their cervix. Um, so I think it really depends by per patient. But um, yeah, it's a conversation. What do you tell people a common question we get is, well, I read of read that what is sex going to be like after a hysterectomy and what is sex going to be like if I remove my cervix? Yeah, so there have been studies that have looked at this exact question and they have found that there's really no difference um, uh, with uh, satisfaction with sexual activity um, with uh, removing your um, cervix. And I'll say anecdotally, like for my patients here, um, you know, most of my patients here and over the last seven years, I've done total hysterectomies and really no one has complained that the sex life has been worse. If if anything, people have said it's been better. So Correct. there you go. <laughs> yeah. Anecdotally, I don't ever remember somebody telling me like I had a hysterectomy and now sex is is different. So yeah, as well as there isn't any erectile tissue in the cervix. So scientifically, it doesn't make sense that why would that affect arousal or orgasm? Yeah, there it that's that's correct. I think there's just a lot of misinformation out on Dr. Google and the Internet. And I think women just read that and, you know, get get concerned. Um, and, you know, like I said, I think some women really have had a hard time admitting or coming to the conclusion of like, okay, like I really need a hysterectomy now. Um, and those are the women who really want to remove as little as possible. Um, so they just want to take care of the uterus and the fibroids and they want to leave whatever doesn't need to be touched. Um, so, yeah. Yeah. Let's talk about what the recovery is like, because sometimes my experience has been is, you know, nowadays you mentioned most people go home and that's been my experience as well. People go home the same day. You have these tiny little incisions. And so from a surface view, you might think like, oh, this is like in and out surgery, no big deal, but but it still is major surgery. So what do you tell people of what to expect as far as recovery from hysterectomy? Yes. So that can be definitely misleading. As you said, people think, oh, yeah, I'm going home the same day. And, you know, I've got patients who tell me, oh, OK, I'm returning to work next week. And I'm like, OK, no, not yet, because, <laughs> you know, we still did take out your uterus. And especially if we took out the cervix as well, that is, you know, adds on a couple of weeks for recovery. So I tell patients that, you know, it's great that they're going home that day and they should expect to, you know, walk around and start moving around that night or the very next day. Um, they want to do that to prevent blood clots as well. So walking around the block and, and starting to move a little bit is good, but they should expect to still feel very tired. Um, a lot of patients say just, they, just going through surgery, even though their pain is minimal, they feel extremely fatigued and they have to you know rest or sleep a lot. Um, also uh, with a total hysterectomy, um, Often, you know, patients are spotting or bleeding. Um, the cuff, the vaginal cuff that we sutured is healing. Um, and the vaginal cuff is the area right between that cervix and, and the um, 
the vaginal wall that we are suturing after removal of the cervix. Um, so that takes a little while to heal, um, actually eight weeks. And so I tell patients no sexual activity for eight weeks. So overall, I mean, to really return to work and go back to, you know, if you're now, of course, after the pandemic, a lot of patients are working from home. But for those who actually have to physically go into work and be active, I tell them, hey, it's going to take, you know, seven to eight weeks. Um, and for those who are working from home, maybe on their computer, um, I say, okay, see how you feel. But it may take about, you know, three weeks before you're even mentally like all there to work a full day. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. So I usually I agree. I usually tell people it's going to take about six to eight weeks before you feel back to normal. But most people are going back to work at the two or three mark, two or three week mark. Some people sooner, some people later. Everybody's a little different. Right, uh, right. But, you know, for example, if we had a hysterectomy, you know, uh, where we're physically in the hospital and running around and seeing patients and operating and stuff like, you know, I, I tell those patients, okay, it is going to take you the full eight weeks um, because you're lifting and, you know, you want to be careful. So what are some of the risks of surgery is for you and I, this is something we do very frequent, very frequently, but you know, it, it does have risks that I'm sure you and, and I both like discuss with our patients Yes. Um, so the risks that I describe to patients, you know, first of all, with any surgery, you can there is a risk of infection and bleeding. Um, so, you know, that can be treated with antibiotics. If you're bleeding a lot, you know, you may need a blood transfusion. And this is rare. Um, but those are two risks definitely that come with any surgery. And then um, for hysterectomy specifically, there can be injury to other organs that are nearby the uterus. Um, like the intestines, the bowels, um, any blood vessels near there, um, the bladder, which is right in front of the uterus, and the ureters, which are the two little uh, thin pipes that carry urine from uh, the kidneys into the bladder. And so all of these are very, very close to the uterus and the cervix. And for patients who are undergoing a total hysterectomy or you know removal of the cervix, um, the risk of kind of the injury to the ureter and the bladder are a little bit more um, compared to patients who are leaving their cervix in. So I go over that as well. Um, these are about, you know, one to 5%. Um, so that those are the risk, uh, kind of the statistics that I quote. And luckily, they're, they're very rare, but they can happen. And um, we take care to you know, notice them, obviously, if it does, so we could fix it while the patient is already under anesthesia. And so that's that's sort of the discussion I have. Yeah. It's not very often that I tell somebody, despite possibly that hysterectomy is going to help them, it's not very often that I tell somebody, you're just not healthy enough to have a hysterectomy. Um in fact, I actually just had to tell somebody that recently, which is a, it's a hard conversation to have. Um, but what are some of the things that you're looking for of, are you healthy enough to have this surgery? Or have you even encountered that? It had been, I don't remember the last time I told somebody if, you know, I know this is what you want, but I, I think you have a high risk of death of having this. Let's look at other options for you. 
Yes, I think I think I've I've had a couple of patients in the last um, two years, and you know, one was a patient who had very very bad um, endometriosis, and uh, somebody had operated on her before for like an ovarian cyst, and you know, had described in the operative report that it was just very complicated. There was just scar tissue everywhere, and um, the patient was you know pretty close to menopause anyway. So that was a patient that I said, okay, we could do it, but you know, this was a perfect example where probably the risks outweighed the benefits. Um, you know, if there was an injury to her bladder or her bowel, you know, she was really uh, in a worse off shape than, than um, having, uh, than not having the hysterectomy. And so that's one patient. And the other patient um, had a lot of uh, medical conditions um, that would require very high level uh, like ICU care if, you know, if they flared up. And so that was a patient that I said, okay, maybe you want to try one of the alternatives. And if you do absolutely want a hysterectomy, you have to be at a, you know, a tier three, like big academic center where they had all the specialists on hand and, you know, quick access to the ICU as well. So, but, but you're right. It's rare. It's, it's rare. Yes. And most women in their forties and fifties, um, or, you know, even late thirties who are looking for a hysterectomy are, are overall fairly healthy. Yes. yes. But those definitely are things that are important when a, a surgeon is assessing, like, how are you going to do post-op? Do you have diabetes? Do you have high blood pressure? Do you, what, what is your, what is your weight? If you do have those, is your blood pressure or diabetes under control? Like you mentioned, what your other what your other surgeries are. So there's a lot of things we have to think about when we're. Uh, there's, there's a lot to think about. And also obesity is the other big one. Now when patients are, you know, morbidly obese, I do suggest bariatric surgery before they, you know, contemplate a hysterectomy uh, because then we've got complications like, you know, dehiscence or where, you know, when we close up the incision that it actually comes apart. Um, and even with, minimally invasive surgery, like robotic surgery, um, that, that belly button incision uh, can, you know, we often have to make it a little bit bigger to take out specimens and that can kind of come apart after, you know, a week or so if a patient is really, really obese. That's actually happened to me. And um, and so I've, I usually suggest that if a patient really tries to, if they're contemplating a hysterectomy, in the next year and they're morbidly obese, I say, okay, this is a really a good time to bring down that weight, mm -hmm. seek bariatric surgery if you need to. Um, so that's another, another complication. Yeah. And, and with the diabetes and blood pressure, as you mentioned, even if I do a robotic surgery, if it's really badly controlled, those are patients I may say, Hey, you know, better for you to stay overnight one night until we get everything you know, even keel, make sure it's all good before you go home. Right. What about long-term consequences of hysterectomy? Like, okay, everything went fine with surgery. There was no infection. There was no damage to other organs. There was no blood clots in the legs or lungs. But what about a year down the road, five years down the road? Anything somebody needs to be aware of that might change their health risk in the future because they've had a hysterectomy? One thing I do mention to patients is the slight um, risk of prolapse um, with a total hysterectomy if, you know, the the cuff isn't suspended. Um, and what I mean by that is when we take out the cervix, we're really dissecting all the way down below and uh, 
cutting into some of the support structures of the vaginal wall overall. And so over time, this can start to sag a little bit. And whether you do a hysterectomy or not, for a lot of women, this happens anyway. Um, so this may not be a direct uh, you know, consequence of a hysterectomy, but for some women, it happens a little bit faster um, after a hysterectomy. So something just to keep in mind, and there are other ways we can take care of that. Um, but that's really the only additional right. thing that I've seen. Um. Another common question I get is, is this going to affect when I go through menopause or along those same lines? How will I know when I do go through menopause? Yeah. So, I mean, when you do a hysterectomy, you're not going to get a period again. So for a lot of women, that's how they, they know they went through menopause is because they stopped their period. So you won't be able to use your period as a marker but you still have your ovaries, and so you're still going to be getting the estrogen. And um, I tell women you're still going to often experience like PMS type symptoms. Um, you just won't have the bleeding. Um, a lot of women can tell still when they undergo menopause because they're having the hot flashes and the sweats and the mood changes. Um, so they're usually able to tell um, even without their uterus. Right. Well, I think this about covers it. I know that there are so many factors to consider when somebody's thinking about a hysterectomy, but I hope this information has been helpful and has given patients or anybody listening to this some good insight into the pros and cons of having a hysterectomy should you um, ever need one. So where can we find you, Dr. Prabhakar? Yeah, so you can find me on um, YouTube at uh, The Fibroid Doc. You can also find me on Instagram with the same handle, The Fibroid Doc, or you can check out my website at www.drprabhakar.com. Thanks so much for joining us today. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. This was great. Thank you for listening to this episode of Healthy Her. You can find us on Instagram, Facebook, and the web. Go to www.dramybrenner.com to learn more. This podcast is for general information only and does not constitute as medical advice, the practice of medicine, nursing or other healthcare services. No patient-physician relationship is formed. The information in the podcast and any references, material or links are at the sole discretion of the listener and not meant to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis or treatment. Listeners should not delay or disregard obtaining medical advice for any medical issues or diagnoses that they may have and should seek medical advice from their healthcare provider for any such conditions.